Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Thursday, April the 6th, 2023. On this edition of The Politocrat, fascism reigns on in the United States as white male racist Republicans expel two black male legislators in the Tennessee House of Representatives. An unjust expulsion. The Tennessee Two. And Gloria Johnson, a white female Democratic legislator, gets to stay. I wonder what that's about. All of that and lots more coming up next. Dear listener, welcome to this Thursday edition of the Politocrat Daily Podcast. Yes, it is very late, and I've got to tell you, there was so much to absorb today with what happened. Fascism, if anybody is unclear now, you must be clear by now. Fascism is here in the United States. It has never left. I've said this over and over and over again. And, you know, black people know this and black people have known this forever. Native Americans have known this forever in this country. Fascism has never left the building called the United States of America. And I think today there are a large number of white people who finally see it. Finally. Thanks for playing and thanks for catching up with us. You're about 400 years behind. That's the only area where you are behind us in terms of 400 years. You have a 400 year head start over us anyway on everything else in this world, in this society, in this country, but uh, you seem to have just been uh, Rip Van Winkled and woken up now, 400 years uh, behind us, realizing, oh, fascism's here in the United States. Oh, that's what it really is. For I, I think for a sizable majority, a sizable number of white people in the United States who are now finally waking up to the idea, oh yeah, there really is fascism in the United States. And it's directed at black people and has been for so long as it has to for Native Americans. And let me tell you something else, dear listener, as I go through here, there's a lot to cover. I'm going to try to get it done under the ambit of an hour and a half. Well, that's going to be very ambitious. I'm going to do my very best to make this as short as I can within, within reason. But let me tell you something else, dear listener. What's very, very clear is that Black people are used as a test case. I've said this to you over and over and over and over again. In the United States of America, black people are used as the test case and in other countries as well, but particularly here, used as a test case because white people in power know very well that the vast majority of white people in the United States are not going to say boo in defense of a black person when this kind of persecution, this clearly anti-black racist persecution is happening to them. There will be white people who will be very sympathetic and they'll be very empathetic, but they won't do anything. There'll be other white people who will kick up a stink on social media, but they won't do anything. There'll be maybe 1% of the white population in this country who will actually do something. 
Maybe I can bump that up to maybe three or four percent. How about that? Make it respectable looking. And they will actually go out and do something. They will organize. They will march. They will get involved in some rally. They will whatever it might be. Right. Mobilize. But that's about it. That's about it. Everyone else will just go back to passing the Grey Poupon. And that's where you make a big mistake if you're white. And if you are white and listening to me, ask yourself right now, are you doing something in response to the expulsions of both Justin Pearson and Justin Jones? You don't have to be in Tennessee to do something. Wherever you are listening to me from right now, are you, if you are white, doing anything? Be on social media to deal with what's going on with Justin Jones and Justin Pearson. Both of these brothers, these black legislators, the two youngest, if I'm not mistaken, in the Tennessee House of Representatives, both got expelled today by the white male racist fascist Republican supermajority. For absolutely no good reason. Oh, you broke the rules. These superficial rules that people break all the time by doing so much worse. Getting on the floor of the house as these brothers did a week ago today, along with Gloria Johnson, a white female Democratic legislator in Tennessee, and getting on the floor there and protesting the uh, need and protesting in favor of the need for gun control. After what happened last Monday, a week from this Monday in Nashville, Tennessee, that somehow now is a crime. This is now an offense that needs to be punished and they need to be swiftly excommunicated and expelled from the house. I mean, this is just insanity and it's fascism and power. And these Republicans did it because they knew they could get away with it. Number one. Number two, because they have power. And number and a supermajority. And number three, because they are racist human beings, scumbags. And number four, because they know good and well that you, if you're white listening to me, aren't going to do very much about this. And it's not that you can force them to turn over their decision and change it. There's going to be appeals to this. And it's going to go through the courts. I'm almost certain of it. But it's that they know that you're really going to just sit back and just get upset for two minutes and then go home and then just turn the channel to whatever it is you're watching or play the music that you were playing before your musical sanctity was interrupted by some breaking news or by a breaking tweet. They know that you're not going to do anything. And so test case after test case is always trot the black person out there and punish them first. Because if they punish the white person first, They know that the days of their existence in power would be numbered because you as a white person would be absolutely exorcised and you would be galvanized and you would be energized to do something about your fellow white brethren. They know this well and it always works. Because there aren't enough white people in the United States. Well, there's more than enough white people in the United States. They are the majority of the populace. But there aren't enough white people in the United States doing something to stand up or stand with black people who get discriminated against, who end up 
being thrown out of office for no just reason, who end up being killed. I mean, George Floyd, that was the last time you saw any kind of mass white protest in this country, aside from the women's marches, of course. But I'm talking about George Floyd. There was so many millions of people. Where do they all go? Around the corner somewhere now? Three years later, where the hell are they? They were nowhere to be found for Tyree Nichols. It was only a localized protest for the most part. They were protests in New York and in Philadelphia as well and a couple other cities. But where was that all across the country? And I would like to add at this point, dear listener, why aren't there protests all over the United States right now, tonight? Why aren't there protests? There should be protests in every U.S. city across the country. In response to what happened today, the expulsion of these two black legislators, this racist and fascist expulsion of them from the Tennessee House of Representatives, there should be protests in every city in this country. Why aren't there? If what happened today in Tennessee had happened in France, I assure you there'd be millions of people on the street right now. Right now. Why aren't there millions of people in the streets right now here in the United States in response to what happened to Justin Jones and Justin Pearson? Why? Say why. Here's the thing, dear listener. See, a million of you can get in the street for some championship winning uh, parade. The University of Connecticut men, they just won their fifth NCAA men's college basketball division one national championship just three days ago on Monday. They had a parade or they've had one or they're having one. I think they had one and loads of people turned up. When basketball teams win NBA titles, millions of people turn up. Golden State Warriors here in San Francisco last year Millions of people. You got about a million people show up in San Francisco. Decked out in their warriors gear. They're all dressed up. Same thing in New York. Same thing in name that American city. Houston. World Series winners last year. Loads of people turned up at that parade. Loads of people. Millions. In England, Manchester City win the Premier League last season. And loads of people turn up there. Hundreds of thousands. Ticker tape and confetti in the air. You know, when the New York Rangers in New York City won the Stanley Cup for the first time in forever, when they won it in 1994, the last time before that was 1918, I think. Or 1930, something like that, whenever the Rangers won it previously to that. And so, in 1994, the streets of Lower Manhattan and Wall Street were completely filled with ticker tape. You couldn't, I mean, you couldn't move. And when the Yankees keep winning every year, back in the day when they kept winning the World Series every year, there was ticker tape everywhere. You couldn't move a muscle. All that, I remember that in New York. All of that Yankee, all the Yankee fans are out there packed to the gills. I mean, so there's no problem getting a million people out to championship winning team parades 
here in the United States. There's no problem doing that. But when it comes to getting a million people out in the streets of this country in response to a very clearly fascist, anti-democratic and anti-black racist expulsion of two black legislators in Tennessee who didn't do a damn thing except protest, which section two or section two, uh, article two, section 27 of the constitution, and I'll get to that later, provides for. Where's the people in the streets? Where are the people in the streets? When the will of the people is being eroded, not even eroded, it's been absolutely trampled. I know I said eroded, I'm thinking of President Obama's tweets, which I'll get to later as well. The will of the people has been crushed here today. That's what happened. It's not so much about the two Justins. Although, of course, they were used as an example and a warning to other legislators and as a warning to the people of Tennessee and, more broadly, as a warning to the people of the United States at large. And this is what the Republicans are doing all across this country. This is why I keep telling you on this podcast, dear listener, you have to start planning now around voting for next year. You need to organize and mobilize and get people to vote now. You need to be doing this. You need to. You need to educate people on how to vote, why it's so important to vote. Those people who sit there and go, oh, voting doesn't matter. You need to tell them why it does. Because today, today in Tennessee, was an example of why, yet again, voting matters. If ever there was proof of that, it was what happened today in that Tennessee General Assembly. It was a Klan court. By the way, did you know that the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, originated out of Tennessee? It was a Klan proceeding today. That's what it was. At one point, before even the witnesses were finished being heard from, they were trying to vote on the expulsion of Justin Jones. I'll play you a clip in a moment from one of the white male Democratic members of the Tennessee Senate, Tennessee House, who jumped up on the thing. His name is John Ray Clemens. John Ray Clemens with two M's. Clemens, C-L-E-M-M-O-N-S. John Ray Clemens. You should hear him. You'll hear him in a moment. He went off. He went off. There were some really good speeches today. And because time is what it is, I don't, and I don't like it, I don't like that phrase, it is what it is. Oh, so overused. But because time is precious, let me just say it like that. I wish I could play you some of the really top-notch speeches, but I'm only going to condense it to a very small few. But I will play John Ray Clemens in a moment. But I want to finish by saying this. Voting always matters. Don't ever tell me that it doesn't. Don't let anyone tell you that it doesn't. It does. Number two, the other thing you need to be aware of is that we must mobilize and organize. And my question still stands. Why is it that we in the United States aren't 
in the streets right now in response to what happened today in Tennessee? Why not? As I said a few moments ago, when it comes to championship winning teams and their parades, oh, we're out in the streets. There's millions of us out there. Why not when it comes to what happened today? If ever there was a reason to be out in the street, it would be today, tonight, tomorrow, this weekend, next weekend, anytime, every time. This would be it. A clearly fascist move by these Republicans. Clearly fascist. This flies in the face of democracy. Any notion that there's democracy in this country continues to be absolutely belied by what you saw today and what you've seen throughout American history. There's no democracy down there, as Malcolm X would say. In the streets of Detroit, the streets of Harlem, the streets of Chicago, where there's no democracy down there, as Malcolm X said, no, we've never seen democracy. All we've seen is hypocrisy. We've never experienced the American dream. We've only experienced the American nightmare. That's Malcolm X. And we saw yet another American nightmare today. But this is actually the American way. What we saw today is the, when they, you know when you hear that phrase, truth, justice, and the American way. So there's truth, there's justice, <laughs> and then there's the American way. And then the question becomes, dear listener, what is the American way? Well, the American way, dear listener, is fascism and anti-black racism and violence which is what you saw today, the anti-black racism part. And quite frankly, the violence, and not the physical violence in this instance, but the violence of just ripping these two brothers out of their duly elected positions as legislators and saying, you're out of here. The violence of taking away their IDs a few days ago, last week, their IDs don't work anymore. That's the American way. The American way is anti-black violence. The American way is anti-black racism. The American way is the genociding of Native Americans. The American way is the enslavement of black people and Jim Crow. That's the American way. Truth, justice, and the American way. Those are three separate things. We aren't experiencing just the American nightmare. We're experiencing the American way. I would add that to the Malcolm X quote. Malcolm's not here to, to um, counter me on that, but that's the, and he would have agreed, I'm sure I would say, it's the American way is what you experience today. I know that kind of rhymes, doesn't it? It does. The other thing that gets lost in all of this dear listener, is this is about gun control. What these two legislators were arguing for in last Thursday's protest was gun control in the wake of what also gets lost now, the six people who were killed last Monday, a week from last Monday, 
in Nashville, Tennessee. That's barely being talked about by people anymore. Three nine-year-old children and three adults massacred, murdered by a person who ended up being killed or taking their own life. I forget which. Doesn't really matter. Six people dead. That's what the three legislators were protesting against. They were protesting against bloodshed. They were protesting against the gun lobby and all this gun violence in Tennessee. And they wanted the changes in the law to happen. And the Republicans said no. The Republican U.S. congressman in Tennessee, one of them, two of them said, no, we're not going to do anything about this. One of them explicitly said that. The other one, one of the others I can think of, forget his name, Andy Ogles is his name, posed with rifles along with his family members in front of a Christmas tree. And I told you at the time a week or two ago that you could just flash that back to the 1950s and 60s and it could have been that same family posing in front of an actual tree with the legs of a black person dangling from it in the shot of the photograph because that's what happened in this country. And by the way, it's still happening. This is what both Justin Pearson and Justin Jones were protesting against on the floor, Gloria Johnson as well. They all three were protesting against this gun violence and they were trying to force this Tennessee legislature supermajority in the House in Tennessee to do something. And these fascists, these Republicans were not going to. And that's what the protest was about. And by the way, you want to talk about violence? The only violence that happened on that floor last Thursday, a week ago from today, was the pushing of Representative Justin Jones by a white male legislator named Lafferty. I forget his first name, whether it was Wayne Lafferty, whoever it was. He pushed and grabbed the phone of Representative Justin Jones. He's the one that shot this video. And the video was shown in the proceedings today. And by the way, he was never brought to the stage to talk about how he got the video, how he shot it, nothing. And the video was shown in pieces and out of context, just like Fox News style, right? So-called news, right? And even when it was shown out of context, it still wasn't inflammatory. None of this was. This is not about inflaming anything, as I'll explain in this episode. So, dear listener, again, what gets lost here now is what happened in Nashville roughly, what, 10, 11 days ago now. That's what gets lost in all of this. What gets lost in all of this is that Tennessee is backward and that Tennessee is amongst the worst states in the union for gun violence and one of the weakest states for gun laws. It's so lax. You can get guns in Tennessee. You can do whatever you want. Open carry. I don't believe there's a permit requirement in Tennessee. And there's nothing that's going to be changed about that because you've got a trough of Republicans in that state legislature who take blood money from the NRA. 
Representative Justin Jones alluded to this in his speech. I'll be playing you the speeches of both Justin Jones and Justin Pearson later on. And um, I want people to stop saying it's the Tennessee 3. I'll, I'll address this as well. It's the Tennessee 2. I know that Gloria Johnson was part of this, but it's the Tennessee 2. There were two people that got expelled, okay? So those are some of the things I just want to get at. Just briefly, as briefly as I can. But this is what's going on, dear listener. You saw today a desecration of law in this country. You know that question that gets put to us, are we a nation of laws or men? Well, we are a nation of men, a nation of racist-ass white men. We're not a nation of laws. If we were a nation of laws, we wouldn't have the kind of society we have now. We'd have a lot better society. We have a nation of white men who are getting away with everything. They've got power, they've got control and dominance, and they are getting away with murder. You've got people in that Tennessee state legislature who've committed all kinds of crimes, all kinds of crimes, never get thrown out of the legislature, never. There's only been one or two expulsions in the history of that state legislature, most recently in 2016 when there was serious, serial sexual harassment. And it was 70, a vote of 70, 70 to 2 in favor of removing um, a legislator there, a Republican one, of course, a white man, for all the sexual harassment. Oh, all right, we may as well remove him. I mean, the, the, I mean it's just absolutely ridiculous. And by the way, there is some precedent for this in Georgia, at least, because uh, Julian Bond, I think in 1966 or so, around there, was expelled, literally, for no good reason in the Georgia legislature. And he appealed it, got his seat back, then got expelled again, appealed it, then got expelled a third time, and then finally, after going to the United States Supreme Court, he was able to get reinstated because he is not allowed to be expelled. That was basically the, the Supreme Court decision. I forget the exact name of the decision. I'll, I'll find it for you. And that's what happened. That's what happened, dear listener. So this has happened before to another, again, to a black person who didn't commit any crime. In these instances where black people are expelled from these state legislatures, it's not because they've done anything that's serious as a crime. It's that the white legislators, the racists, did not want these black people in a position of power. That's what all this is about. And one last thing before I move on to really a, a break here and then to get to the other things I want to get to on this episode. This is, and to quote a war criminal, I don't do that too often, Dick Cheney. This is, what we're seeing is, we are in the last throes, if you will, of the insurgency. We are in the last throes of white male power and dominance. We are in the last days of that now. That's why you're seeing all these things go into place all across this country in Republican-controlled states, whether it's Idaho, whether it's Texas or Florida, or we don't want any books from black people there. Ugh. You know, whether it's in, you know, in places like Tennessee or Mississippi, uh, talked about Jackson, Mississippi, whether it's what's going on in, um, in loads of places. I mean, I can name that. Oklahoma. I mean, all over. Kansas. 
uh, all these things. This is a desperate white male power structure now. And it knows that its days are numbered. It knows that. And that's why you're seeing all this activity. Let's get rid of these black legislators. Let's not teach black history in schools. Ooh, critical race theory. And uh, all this, the woke, which is another word for N. Okay, so this is what's going on. Just like Chicago, Chicago, Chicago is another word for N. And by the way, Chicago is not even one of the top 15 most violent cities in the country. So why in the earth, why in the F is Chicago being mentioned all the time when it's not even one of the top 15 most violent places in the country? Yeah, riddle me that, Batman. The issue here again, and I want to keep this front and center, is white power and dominance. And these people know that their days are numbered in power. These people know that younger white generations aren't putting up with this anymore. If you looked at the people protesting in Tennessee today, they were mostly and overwhelmingly white. Now, Tennessee, I think, has a what a 20% black population there, something like that, 23%, something like that in the state. The vast majority of the people protesting were white people, protesting against these Republicans. And the Republicans know that. Why do you think that they are in Texas getting rid of all the ballot boxes on college campuses and universities? You know why. I told you about this a few weeks ago on this podcast. You know very well why. Because these Republicans know that the younger voters are not going to be voting Republican. They're going to be voting Democratic. So let's take the ballot boxes away, the drop boxes away. We'll take the drop boxes away from these college campuses all over Texas. Because they know damn well that you're not going to vote for them. They don't have any ideas. They don't pretend to have any ideas. They want power. And that's all they care about. They don't worship God. They don't worship a God. They worship power. That's all they worship. Power. That's their God. A second, and I think more important point, I think that this today is a travesty. I think that it is disgusting. I think that this hearing should never occur in America. This is a case in which this sleaze, this dirt, was searched for by staffers of members of this committee, was then leaked to the media, and this committee and this body validated it and displayed it at prime time over our entire nation. How would any member on this committee, any person in this room, or any person in this country would like sleaze said about him or her in this fashion? or this dirt dredged up and this gossip and these lies displayed in this manner? How would any person like it? 
The Supreme Court is not worth it. No job is worth it. I'm not here for that. I'm here for my name, my family, my life, and my integrity. I think something is dreadfully wrong with this country when any person, any person in this free country would be subjected to this. This is not a closed room. There was an FBI investigation. This is not an opportunity to talk about difficult matters privately or in a closed environment. This is a circus. It's a national disgrace. And from my standpoint, as a black American, as far as I'm concerned, it is a high-tech lynching for uppity blacks who in any way deign to think for themselves, to do for themselves, to have different ideas. And it is a message that unless you kowtow to an old order, this is what will happen to you. You will be lynched, destroyed, caricatured, by a committee of the U.S. U.S. Senate rather than hung from a tree. You know, that was Clarence Thomas in 1991, October of 1991, talking about the Tennessee Two. He was talking about Justin Pearson and Justin Jones. Because, oh, Clarence... The high-tech lynching was what happened today in Tennessee. That's what the lynching was. This was a lynching today that happened, high-tech style. I know I can picture you now, dear listener, going, Omar, what are you talking about? It's not a lynching. They're both alive. This was a figurative lynching of two young black men, legislators, by a vastly white male, racist, Republican, fascist legislature. The way that these white men talked about the two black legislators that are their colleagues that they were about to expel. Did you hear it? I'm not even going to bother playing it. There was someone named Gino, whatever his last name was, and he behaved like Mussolini in there. Looked a bit like Mussolini as well, by the way, and perhaps even shorter than Mussolini. The way that he was talking about Justin Jones and Justin Jones talked about how he was getting in the face of Justin Jones in the elevator and saying you're a disgrace and basically spitting at him because he was that close to him. And then when Justin Jones pulled out his cell phone and said, can you repeat that? I'm recording you. This Gino fella, fascist, decided, oh, I'm not going to say it again because I don't want to be caught on video. The way that these men, so-called men, these white men, and I put that last word in quotes, was speaking about Justin Pearson, basically called him a boy, called him an N, basically did everything but call him N. That is what is going on. That was your high-tech lynching, Clarence Thomas, now Supreme Court Justice 
Clarence Thomas. And you know, I play that audio from his confirmation hearing. That was from October the 12th, 1991, by the way. Because I wanted to make it clear to you that there's a lot of irony in what's being said there. Because he talked about sleaze and you heard him use the word sleaze. And then it just so happens that there's a freaking report, thank you ProPublica, that came out that says the following about, guess who? Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. This is what is going on here. Clarence Thomas, undisclosed luxury travel gifts. For over 20 years, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, you want to talk about sleaze. Listen to this. For over 20 years, this is from the ProPublica article. ProPublica, P-R-O-P-U-B-L-I-C-A dot O-R-G. For over 20 years, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas has been treated to luxury vacations by billionaire Republican donor Harlan Crow. And he didn't disclose any of these things. And if these reports are to be believed, then I don't have any reason to disbelieve ProPublica. They're pretty damn good at what they do. Their investigative journalism is pretty damn good. For the most part. I mean, I know I've heard a few murmurings about ProPublica, but this is a pretty darn good organization for investigative journalism. But this guy is a freaking sleaze artist. And we already know that from Anita Hill, based on what she had to say 30 plus years ago. And I have no reason to disbelieve Anita Hill, I believe the professor. She wrote a book and she talked about some of this in that book she wrote. And I forget the name of the book now. And I have the book and I just don't even, it's terrible, I can't even remember the title. But the bottom line is, listen to this. He goes on cruises, does Clarence Thomas in far-flung locales on Crow's yacht. He flies in his private jet and he keeps company with Crow's powerful friends at the billionaire's private resort. The extent of Crow's largesse has never been revealed until now. Clarence Thomas and the Billionaire. This is written today by Joshua Kaplan, Justin Elliott. That's another Justin. That's the third Justin that I've mentioned on this episode. And Alex Mierjeski, M-I-E-R-J-E-S-K-I. April 6th, today. In late June 2019, right after the U.S. Supreme Court released its final opinion of the term, Justice Clarence Thomas boarded a large private jet headed to Indonesia. He and his wife, that would be Virginia Thomas, otherwise known as Jeannie Tom- Thomas, another sleaze bag, boarded a large private jet headed to Indonesia. He and his wife were going on vacation, nine days of island hopping in a volcanic Archipelago, 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 hopping, I'll read that again, I'm sorry. He and his wife were going on vacation, nine days of island hopping in a volcanic archipelago on a super yacht staffed by a coterie of attendants and a private chef. If Thomas had chartered the plane and the 162-foot yacht himself, the total cost of the trip would have exceeded $500,000. Fortunately for him, that wasn't necessary. 
He was on vacation with real estate magnate and Republican megadonor Harlan Crow, who owned the jet and the yacht too. I could read on, dear listener, but I'm not going to in the interest of time. I'll be talking about this whole story in detail. Hopefully, I think it may be sometime on the weekend, but if not next week, there's so much to get through. And so I want to really just leave that there with you. And the article is in propublica.org. And um, I'm telling you, that audio reveals everything, doesn't it? It also reveals to you that, again, Clarence Thomas, as Judge Thomas at that hearing in the Supreme, in the Senate, and the Supreme Court uh, hearing for him in the Senate, Judiciary Committee, 32 years, almost 32 years ago, definitely more than 31 years ago, he was foretelling the story of Justin Pearson and Justin Jones. And I just find it particularly ironic that on the very same day that both Justin Jones and Justin Pearson are expelled, literally, I think, unlawfully, from the uh, Tennessee House, that this story on Clarence Thomas drops the same day. I just find that to be quite an irony and a coincidence at the same time. And, of course, the audio that I played from 31 plus years ago. The high-tech lynching, Clarence, was of justice, not justice, listen to me. The high-tech lynching, Clarence Thomas, was of Justin Pearson and Justin Jones. That's where the high-tech lynching was. They both should still be members of the Tennessee House of Representatives. We all know that. Now, the question becomes, what do you and I do about it? I'll be talking about that as well. We must get involved and get engaged in all of this. I mean, I've already talked about it, quite frankly. I've already mentioned it. We already mentioned what we need to do. We need to get involved. We show up at, as I said, we show up at all these sports events, these ticker tape parades. Some of us do. Maybe not you, dear listener, or maybe you, dear listener. But where is that kind of energy in the street? And by the way, the United States has always had a history of protest. I'll get to that later as well. Anyway, I know I've covered quite a bit already. But I want to just lay that at your feet as well, dear listener. I'm going to take another break and get into what happened today with some audio from the proceedings. And I put that word proceedings in quotes. Dear listener, welcome back. I had said, if I correctly recall, that you were going to hear from John Ray Clemens, uh, one of the Democrats in the Tennessee House of Representatives. Well, you're going to hear from him right now. This is one of the things I really wanted to play for you. Um, This is a fascist situation. This is clearly fascism. This authoritarianism of these Republicans. They know their time is up. They know. They know. All over this country, these white Republicans, these white male Republicans in particular, know their numbers up when it comes to power. And you're going to have brown and black people 
leading the way in this country in all of these offices of power. You're already seeing it in the top four cities in this country where the mayors are all black. Chicago, we just had Lori Lightfoot. Her term ends very shortly. And next month, it will be Brandon Johnson in that position as the mayor of Chicago. In New York, of course, you have the uh, New York City Mayor Eric Adams. Of course, in Los Angeles, you have Karen Bass, the mayor there. And of course, there's one other city that now I'm forgetting. I don't know which one. Did I do Did I do the four? Atlanta. Atlanta, you've got a black mayor as well. Um, damn it. Why don't I remember who that is down in uh, Atlanta? Anywho, is it Atlanta? I think Atlanta. Those are the, the, the top four cities in terms of populations, if I'm not mistaken. And so the bottom line is that's, that's who you've, that's what's going on. And you've got a vice president who's black. You've got, I mean, I can think about, you know, this is happening all over the country. And these white men know that their time is up for power. And it's going to be maybe another 10 years, maybe another 15 at max. Um, maybe much earlier than that. Um, that the tide is turning and what these white cowards are doing is trying to grab as much power as they can and hold on and have an impact with their power for as long as they can before they no longer can because they don't have the numbers now and they won't have them in five years or ten. And they know that the landscape's going to change. This is why they're doing all this gerrymandering and redistricting on steroids now. This is why they're making it harder for you to vote now. This is why. Also because they want power and they're evil and they're racist and they're corrupt and they're anti-LGBTQIA, they're anti-black. All those things are true. They're anti-women. Why do you think they're trying to force women to have children? They would love for white women to have as many children as possible. But there are fewer white women conceiving in this country. And the report that just came out from the Boston Globe, a study that came out, 56-page study that came out today, said that the population of black people in Boston and in greater Boston is growing. There'll be more white flight in Boston by the uh, end of the day today or by the end of the weekend. And this is happening across the country and they know they don't have the numbers. So now while they have power, they are absolutely trying to grab as much of it as they can before they shuffle off this mortal coil, as it were. And... They say that the hour is darkest just before the dawn. And that's what we're experiencing now here in the United States. Now, that's not an invitation for us to be complacent. It's an invitation for us to act, to vote. And let this next piece of audio be a reminder to you. This took place on the floor of the Tennessee House of Representatives in the Tennessee General Assembly today. You will hear the arrogant voice of the Speaker of the House, Cameron Sexton, he is a piece of garbage, arrogant and cavalier in his arrogance. You'll hear his voice from the start. And you'll hear the voice of the clerk who reads out the vote. And he may sound a little bit like this. And then you hear from John 
Ray Clemens. John Ray Clemens, that's the impassioned voice. You will know exactly who he is once you hear his voice. So buckle up for this. And it's about four minutes and change. And you'll hear another legislator at the end there as well. But you need to hear this. On the board. All those in favor, vote aye when the bell rings. Those opposed, vote no. As every member voted, does any member wish to change their vote? Mr. Clerk, take the vote. Aye, 73, 24 nays. Previous question prevails. We are voting on House Resolution. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Representative Jones, I'm sorry. You get five minutes to close. You have five minutes. Chairman Clemens. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. We are talking about nothing less than 75 people overruling the wishes of 78,000 people. And you're going to cut off debate? Give me a break. Is this a circus? You are talking about kicking somebody out of this body. Grow up. If you can't sit through a conversation or a debate on something no less than expelling a colleague, Grow up! Get out of here! You don't belong here! You want to call the question? I am humiliated. I am embarrassed. Look at the rules of procedure, the ethic rules. It, the purpose of this is to hold the respect and confidence of the people. Representatives should avoid conduct that even appears to violate the trust the people have placed in them. What are we doing? Call him the question. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, point of order is, if you don't want to sit here and have this discussion, withdraw the resolution. Let's move on to the people's business and actually address the issue that created what made you uncomfortable. The loss of life, not just those six losses of lives. People in every community across this state that continue to be killed by gun violence. Hey, Chairman Clemens, you, you're, it's a point of order. I understand you're upset by the call of the question. If somebody have a point of order where we are, not, not a speech on the floor, but you're, we're at a point of order if that's where you're wanting to go. The question's been called. It was put on the board as objection. The rule prevailed to, to take the vote. If there's a question about point of order, we'll be happy to take it. Anybody? Leader Camper. No. Representative Akeem. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. There were a number of us who had their names on the list to speak. And I think it would be totally disrespectful not to allow us an opportunity to make necessary comments. One of the problems that we have is that we, the cutting off of debate, I mean, that's what we're here for. We talk about it being messy. We're talking about getting things done. We're talking about coming to a consensus. How can we do that if we don't hear the voices of more than ourselves, so to speak? All right. Yeah. Is that a question for Mr. Clerk about calling the question? Okay, Mr. Clerk, can you read the rule, please? 
Mr. Speaker, previous questions shall only be admitted when demanded by two-thirds of the members present. Previous question has been called. Anybody can call it at any time, and we all know that that's a possibility. Rep Leader Camper. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, I move that we reconsider our actions on that. Is that appropriate? Well, we ask that members reconsider their actions and allow, withdraw your motion, allow us to continue the debate. So that's how that played out earlier today, the arrogance of these Republicans. And again, they've got a supermajority and they're not happy enough with it. They're still grumpy and they're still miserable. And so they tried to crush black people. And these two black people, Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, and also by, ex by extension, black people and white people and other people who are the constituents of both Justin Johnson and, excuse me, Justin Jones and Justin Pearson. That's what this is really about. This is about overturning and crushing the will of the people. This is the fascism. And that's what Johnny Ray Clemens, well, he didn't mention fascism, the word, because people are still too afraid to say that word. And I have no idea why they would be, because it's so obvious. That's why I read to you passages from books like the one by Milton Mayer. They thought they were free. And I read them to you for a reason, because they are a guide to where we are now. The book... They Thought They Were Free, The Germans, 1933-45 to 45 by Milton Mayer, was written back in the 1950s, first published in the 1950s anyway, around 1955 or thereabouts. It's a really good and instructive book. Milton Mayer, I think he did an excellent job. This is a really good book that he wrote, and it was first published in 1955. You need to read that book. You need to read that book. By the way, he dedicates it. And I've always said that these guys didn't see themselves as Nazis, but they, they had to have been. And he dedicates the book to, quote, my 10 Nazi friends. These are the 10 white male Germans he spoke to in the aftermath of World War II and the end of Nazi Germany. You know, And he spoke to them, I think in the early 1950s, actually. And... Um, had these interviews with them and he published them in the book and, and it's a phenomenal book. And I want to read the passage that I often read in this book. I've read a number of times on this podcast from this book and I think this is a good time to do it after what you just heard there from John Ray Clemens and I'm squeaking through these pages in the very squeaky, you know, slick cover of the book, although it has a swastika on the front of it. Um, and I've posted this on social media as well. I want to read this clip and then I also will post this on social media um, I'll just read this clip from uh, an excerpt of this uh, from uh, page 171 by the way of the book from the chapter but then it was too late from the book they thought they were free by Milton Mayer the world you live in your nation your people is not the world you were born in at all the forms are all there, all untouched, all reassuring. The houses, the shops, the jobs, the meal times, the visits, the concerts, the cinema, the holidays. But the spirit, which you never noticed because you made the lifelong mistake of identifying it with the forms, is changed. Now you live in a world of hate and fear, and the people who hate and fear do not even know it themselves. When everyone is transformed, no one is transformed. Now you live in a system which rules without responsibility even to God. 
The system itself could not have intended this in the beginning, but in order to sustain itself, it was compelled to go all the way. That is a clip, dear listener, from an excerpt, I should say, from They Thought They Were Free, The Germans, 1933-45, to by Milton Mayer. M-A-Y-E-R is the last name. You have to read that book. It's a very important book. It's one of the, I would say the favorite book of mine, but it's a book I do love to go back to and reference. It's a really good book. It tells you how ordinary people just go from being seemingly decent people overnight to Nazis. Chilling, a cautionary tale, and what I call cyclical history, because it's not so much, and I know people will disagree. You may disagree with me on this. It's not so much, I always say this, that history repeats itself. It's that history is cyclical, not quite the same thing. That every 70 or 80 years, there is this test that comes to us. And the question becomes, how do we respond to that test? Now it's, uh, it's now this renewed effort at authoritarianism and totalitarianism and fascism. It's happening all over the globe. We're in an era now where that cycle has come back around. And maybe you'll say it's a repeating. It's all about a test for us and what we do. And so John Ray Clemens was talking about what are these rules? What don't you aren't you interested in sitting down and listening to this if you don't want to get out? These people aren't interested, John Ray Clemens. I want to tell you that you know this. They're not interested in having a debate. They want power. They're totalitarians. They're fascists. They're authoritarians, John Ray. You know that they don't want to hear about a debate. The fact that they even took that vote before you could even hear from Justin Jones in his last five-minute summation is proof of that. I'll get to Justin Jones's speech and to the speech of Justin Pearson later on. But that's evidence that they don't care about rules. They just care about power, as I've said over and over. So that's something that I wanted to just play. I'm going to take another break, and I want to really get into um, really the, the heart of things today. And I will promise you, I will do that right after this. It doesn't happen like we think it does. No one rolls the tanks. No armies meet in pitched battle. It happens quietly, little by little. And because so many think it can't happen, it does happen. Little by little, the rules change. It doesn't seem shocking or sudden. And that's the point. Fewer places to vote, longer lines. Don't worry, they say. We're just improving the system. They hope we won't notice the rules are changing because they lost the last election. They hope we just won't care enough to stop them. They believe they can take America away from us and we won't even notice. We know who they are. We know what they want. The question is, who are we? Do we let them get away with it or do we fight? Democracy is on the ballot. Vote while your vote still counts. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising.
late Mr. Wendell. That's his name. No one ever knew his name, cause he's a no one. Never thought twice about spending on an old bum until I had the chance to really get to know one. Now that I know him, to give him money isn't charity. He gives me some knowledge, I buy him some shoes. And to think blacks spend all their money on big colleges, still most of y'all come out confused. Go ahead, Mr. Wendell. Yeah, Mr. Wendell, and that was Arrested Development, but uh, you'll be hearing from Mr. Wendell right now. Um, Dear listener, thank you very much indeed uh, for listening to this edition of the Political Daily Podcast. Mr. Wendell, well, he is, and I forget his first name, he's one of the attorneys for Gloria Johnson, the white female legislator, legislator, pardon me, of the Democrats there in Tennessee, in the Tennessee House of Representatives. And here's what he had to say today during the uh, proceedings, really these fascist proceedings. It was a real sham um, that there was a so-called due process. There barely was any. Um, The decision had already been made. But except for one, here is Mr. Wendell, the uh, one of the attorneys for Gloria Johnson. You're recognized, Mr. Wendell. Mr. Speaker and members, As a believer, I must recognize that today is Maundy Thursday, the day of betrayal. Let's go straight to the charging instrument. I'd like to direct each of your attention to the next to last paragraph on the first page of House Resolution 64. At approximately 10.49 a.m., Representative Johnson and her colleagues, having gathered at her desk, moved in unison and began shouting without recognition. I challenge the author of this document to come to this well and to tell Tennessee and America that that's a true statement. It is an absolute falsehood that has been perpetrated on this body. This woman did not shout, and that's the first particular that they charged her with. So if the, if the author of this document can come up here, I'll, I'll yield the whale. Please explain to this woman and to America why you committed a falsehood. Representative Wendell, you can't ask people that, but who else would like to talk? You have 20 minutes. Is that the end of the opening? Mr. Wendell. Let's move on to the second part of the bill of particulars. Top paragraph of page two. Whereas during this time, Representative Johnson, Representative Johnson and her colleagues shouted again a false statement for the second time the second allegation, and both are false. Please come up and face the people and explain why you perpetrated a fraud on this woman in the state of Tennessee. Where is the sponsor of this document? It's unconscionable. Whereas during this time, Representative Johnson pounded the podium. Show me where she pounded the podium. Another outright lie.
Somebody contradict me in this body. Please, somebody come up and set me straight that the first three comments about this woman are true because it's an absolute falsehood. You just watched it on the video. Democracy is too precious for a supermajority to abuse it. Whereas during this time, Representative Johnson generally engaged in disorderly and disruptive conduct, including refusing to leave the well, sitting on the podium, and utilizing a sign displaying a political message. This is in the conjunctive. Again, an outright lie. She did not display a sign. Isn't it fitting these allegations are made during Holy Week? The author of this document should apologize not to her, but to the state of Tennessee. This is an outright fraud and an abomination in the United States of America. And not this is Tennessee's watching, America's watching. And I'll yield the podium anytime any member of this chamber wants to come up and defend this heinous action. This document is not only inaccurate, it's an outright distortion of her conduct. Any Sessions Court in the state of Tennessee and all 95 counties would dismiss this on a simple motion, but this body is going to take it seriously and try to ask somebody and subvert the will of the voters of Knoxville, Tennessee. I mean, do you know who Gloria Johnson is? Does anybody know her? I mean, who is Gloria Johnson? Is she the boogeyman? I mean, Gloria Johnson's a school teacher, a public school teacher, a special education school teacher. She's a sister. She's a daughter. She's an American. She's a Tennessean. She's a Farragut graduate. She's a graduate of the University of Tennessee and a Girl Scout. Let me tell you what this lady is not. She's not a felon. She's not a misdemeanor. She's not a sex offender. She's not a target of a federal grand jury investigation. She's never had a single ethics violation. Not one time in her service to Tennessee. She's simply put, she's never broken the public trust. Never, not one time. Many of you in this room, including me, do not agree with her political stances. Many of you don't. Some of you do, many don't. However, she doesn't work for you. She works for the people who live on Broadway, Nadine, Washington Avenue, and West Hills. Those are the people that sent her here, and the author of this document wants to take falsehoods 
and subvert the will of 70,000 voters. I'm sure most of you are going to be surprised that you vote with this woman 80% of the time. 80% of the time, the members of this body vote exactly the way she votes. America was born to protest. Thank the good Lord it was. 1688, the Germantown Quaker protest. 1773, the Tea Party. 1791, the Whiskey Rebellion. 1863, the New York City draft rights. 1913, right here, women's suffrage. 1963, March on D.C. 1969, protest against the Vietnam War. 1970, Kent State. 1973, the March for Life. 2009, the Tea Party protest, and 2011, Occupy Wall Street. I submit to this body that this document is absolute fraud. And whoever votes for it is going to perpetrate a fraud on America. This is democracy at stake. Please be aware. Thank you. They are calling and, you know, Gloria is just fine. Now, look, I'm not uh, denigrating Gloria Johnson. She is a progressive, uh, a white female progressive who has been on the right side of the issues and has fought and uh, really cared about the, the constituents that she represents in Tennessee, in, in her part of Tennessee. And I forget which part it was. I think it's Knoxville, Knoxville, Tennessee. You know, she cares about the people there. And she's fought the good fight in the a few years that she's been in the state legislature there in Tennessee. But as we see often and often and often, it is a white woman who is used as a pawn and a very dangerous tool against black people, black men and black women, particularly against black men. Now, look, I'm not saying that Gloria Johnson in this instance was used against these two brothers. She supported these brothers. She was part of the what is called the Tennessee Three. I would submit to you, dear listener, is the Tennessee Two, because there's only two people that got expelled and they were both black young brothers, young black men, legislatures, legislators. Both of those black legislators got, they got expelled. So it's a Tennessee, it's the Tennessee Two. You know, I, I, you know, I started at first was hashtagging that Tennessee Three until obviously once the, only people that got expelled were two people and they were both black. I'm not going to continue to hashtag Tennessee 3. It's Tennessee 2. Just like you don't continue to say the Central Park 5, it's the Exonerated 5. 
So, yeah, on social media, you'll still see the hashtag Tennessee 3. And as Twitter does, it will misspell Tennessee and make that the trend. And everybody just blindly follows it without checking the spelling of the state. The state Tennessee has two N's in it and it has two S's in it. Right. And it has, last time I checked, four E's in it. T-E-N-N-E-S-S-E. That is how you spell Tennessee. That rhymes. <laughs> Tennessee. T-E-N-N-E-S-S-E. What has four E's and can see? Tennessee. What has four I's and cannot see? Mississippi. I mean, hey, this was a flashback today, dear listener, to 1960s Mississippi. And I couldn't help but think when I saw Justin Pearson speaking and just looking at the brother with the afro and the glasses on and the lean physique. I couldn't help but think of H. Rap Brown because that's exactly who I thought of when I saw Justin Pearson standing there. I saw H. Rap Brown in 1965, 64, 63. That's who I thought of. That's who I saw when I saw Justin Pearson. It was unmistakable, Representative Pearson. And I don't know if he was modeling that look or if... Because I think he's a conscious brother. There's no question that Representative Pearson is a conscious brother who is aware of history. Uh, but I'm not sure if he was modeling that look or if he that is just him or all of the above. I'm sure it was a bit of both, I would guess. But I couldn't help but think of H. Rap Brown. I couldn't help but think of those brothers. I couldn't help but think about those kinds of brothers. And when I saw Representative Justin Jones up there in his white suit, just speaking truth to power, I couldn't help but think of James Baldwin in the 60s and 70s. Uh, it's unmistakable. I had a real flashback today to 1963, 64, Mississippi. I had a real flashback today. And I think what these fascist Republicans are doing is trying to throw us back to the 1820s. I've said this before, I'll say it again and again. That is where we are. That's where we are. Again, if you do any kind of study of history in this country, that will jump out at you. And by the way, if you do any kind of study of history in this country, you'll find out that what President Obama tweeted tonight was incorrect. I'll deal with that now. I mean, it's not the most important thing on a day like today, but I want to just get that out of the way and swat it away like a fly. Because President Obama got it wrong. In one of his tweets, he says, this nation was built on peaceful protest. First of all, that's not true. That is factually incorrect. This nation was not built on anything with the word peaceful in it. 
We can go back to the Boston Tea Party in 1773. We can go back to protests before and after that point. The Whiskey Rebellion. The draft riots in New York in the, uh, was that, the 1800s? Or the early 1900s, I forget. They were anything but peaceful. I mean, again, this country, Mr. President, was not built on peaceful protest. This nation was not. It was built on the backs of black people who worked for free, enslaved labor. Black people who were enslaved built this country, Mr. President. You are a black man in America, President Obama. Do you not know this? Do you not know this? It's embarrassing. Now, I mean, I shouldn't be going off on, on the president, but this is, this is dangerous stuff. See, when you just tweet stuff like that, and it got, at least as I'm looking at this now, more than 24,000 retweets. By the time you listen to this episode, it will probably be way over 30,000 retweets. And what he's saying in that first sentence is factually incorrect. This country was not built on peaceful protest. Mr. President, come on. <sighs> dear, oh dear, oh dear. Dear, oh dear, oh dear. Come on, Mr. President. You need to strike that tweet and write a new one. If you've got the edit function, because I'm sure you probably, uh, you probably are paying. Um, that piece of garbage from South Africa, um, money every month to keep your freaking check, your blue tick or whatever the hell those things are supposed to look like. But the bottom line is, is that you need to edit that tweet, Mr. President. Your first sentence is incorrect. And then he goes on to say no elected official should lose their job simply for raising their voice, especially when they're doing it on behalf of our children. Well, you know what? You need to put the words Republican and fascist in your tweet. But Mr. President, you're never going to do that. That's not the kind of person you are. Not even now, once you're no, when you're no longer in office. You are not going to be that person ever. You're going to be the very milquetoast, quiet person that you are. Oh, well. And then your next tweet after that. What happened in Tennessee is the latest example of a broader erosion of civility and democratic norms. Civility? Oh my God, Mr. President, this is not civility. This is not about civility. It's about power. It's about power and it's about anti-black systemic racism. Oh my God. I mean, again, the mealy-mouthed, milk-toast, president of the United States. It's just crazy. And again, this got nearly 13, at the time I'm reading, this has got nearly 13,000 retweets. Now, look, I've not read the responses, got 2,000 plus responses to that second tweet. But what he's saying there is not true. This is not about, well, I say I disagree with it. It's not about a broader erosion of civility. It's about the continuing expansion of an anti-black racist system, Mr. President. That's what it's about. It's about a continuing expansion of anti-black racism. In the country you live in, in Tennessee, 
Oh, God. And democratic norms. What are democratic norms in the United States, Mr. President? What are they? Can you tell us? Can you tell me? Can you tell those listening to this podcast right now, listening to this bit of audio? What are the democratic norms of the United States of America? Mr. President, I'd like to know. Since you did tweet this, President Obama, you tweeted this. What are the democratic norms of the United States? Because I believe in explaining what you say. I believe in doing that. I do it myself. I try as best I can. To explain what it is I'm talking about, to define what it is I am saying. So that you and I are both crystal clear that I'm clear. A broader erosion. What's a broader erosion? Don't you just mean fascism? Why can't you just tweet that word, the F word? Say it. Say it, President Obama. Say it. But no, it's just going to sit there and be Mr. Milk Toast. Uh, again, he's not the only one. The New York Times does this all the time with their headlines. Really mealy mouth assed headlines. The Washington Post does the same thing. You know, the headline writers there as well. They do the same damn thing the headline writers of the New York Times do and all these other outlets that are supposed to be, supposed to be outlets that care about speaking truth to power and putting it on the griddle. That's what the fourth estate is supposed to be, Leslie Stoll. And 60 Minutes and CBS and all the rest of these places are failing deliberately. This is all about money and ratings for them. And this is all about them acquiescing to the authoritarianism and the fascism of the Republicans. And the fascism is larger than that party ever was. This is not even about Republicans and Democrats. This is about fascism and authoritarianism and any notion of democracy that's left. Because I submit to you, dear listener, that there's never really been true democracy in the United States. Never. Yes, sure, we can vote. Some of us, many of us. But there's lots of us who can't. And for black folk, there's never been a true democracy in this country. Ever, ever, ever. You don't have to believe me. Just look at the history of the country. Study the history. And it's so annoying to see a president, any president, but particularly someone who should know better. A, as someone who was a Democratic president, and B, well, he's president, but he was a Democrat and still is, and B, someone who's black. God damn it. Oh, it's an erosion of civility. That's the kind of garbage you hear and you read in the New York Times. It's an erosion. Oh, it's, it's an erosion of civility. This is not about civility. This is about power. And this is about kicking out black people who dare to speak truth to power. This is about a racist, white, Tennessee legislature controlled by Republicans in a supermajority sending a message and calling, essentially, two black young men boys. Oh, let me check that. Two black young men who were legislators ends. That's what this is about. Oh, let me check that yet again. This is about figuratively lynching two black men. And as Clarence Thomas told you earlier, that's what this is. That was Clarence Thomas earlier, and I, I played that earlier. 
But this is what's going on. And for President Obama to tweet this out, it's just ridiculous. Silencing those who disagree with us is a sign of weakness, not strength, and it won't need it won't lead to progress. Such passive language. Yeah, you think you think probably that I'm making a big deal of this. It's not that I'm making a big deal of this. It is that I am bringing attention to this. And there's a difference because no one else is making anything about this. No one's saying anything about it. People are just robotically tweeting what the former president said. I'm saying to you that when you analyze what he tweeted, it makes no sense. It's weak for this moment that we're in. It's mealy-mouthed. And because some people listening to me right now, because you, dear listener, may be a Democrat, you probably just blindly tweeted that out, retweeted it. And you probably didn't really think too much about it because you saw Barack Obama and you saw the tweet and you said, oh yeah, boom, and then you retweeted it. Now, if someone else who was not a Democrat tweeted this, would you be quick to retweet it? Or would you pay more critical attention to it? I voted for President Obama twice. And no, I wouldn't have voted for him for a third term. Because he can't run three times. I'm kind of trying to make light of that line in the film, Get Out, where the so-called white liberal says, oh, well, you know, I'd vote for him in the third term. Yeah, right. Anyway. But I'm making something of this. I'm, it's not even I'm making something of it. I'm analyzing this because no one else seems to be doing that anywhere. And we just blindly retweet things, even from people that we are comfortable with, even the people that we may have voted for. And we don't even, some of us at least, don't even analyze what it is that's being said in the tweets. And it's not just that these two elected officials, and he didn't even mention their names. It's like, God damn. It's so freaking watered down. You know, like everything else in this country now, but technology waters down your brain. That, and it's the same thing with this tweet, these two tweets. Oh, no elected official should lose their job. Can you at least mention their names, damn it? It's Representative Justin Jones and the other Justin, Representative Justin Pearson. Two young black brothers, two young black men, legislators, who could be your son. If I had a son, he would be Trayvon. I mean, come on, man. I, I do get frustrated more so a lot of times with some of the people who look like I do. Because especially when they have power and they fritter it away with this kind of a weak ass statement and tweet. Two tweets, plural. Like what am I, what am I looking at here with this? And just you and some of you will just blindly retweet it, and you won't analyze what you're retweeting. Oh, uh, President Obama, oh that's good, boom, and you don't think about it. Some people, maybe you too, dear listener. And I wonder why, why. And then you get upset at me or people like myself who criticize Democrats who aren't strong enough when they need to be. And again, I talked about this in the episode yesterday, dear listener, and I've talked about it before this year, uh, before earlier in the year, this year, when you've got a lot of these white Democratic voters 
there's a large slice of them. They get very defensive and pissed off and they start to attack you as a black person when you say that President Biden hasn't done something here, there or somewhere else or when he's fallen short with black people. Then you get this white pushback from the so-called Democrat, the so-called liberal or progressive. Or, you know, you get that pushback. And it's pushback founded not in anything valid, but in anger and in how dare you uppity black person challenge the person that I voted for. That's where this is coming from. And it's also rooted in underlying racism that some of these white Democratic voters will never admit to. Never. This is a time that fascism is flourishing in this country. And it's so obvious to everybody. You can see it around you. You can look at these United States Supreme Court decisions. You can look at what's going on in Idaho and Iowa and in Kansas, where they've just a day or two ago passed a law that allows for genital inspections. I mean, come on, man. And you can see what's going on in Jackson, Mississippi, with this apartheid city there, where you've got these white legislators, these white state officials in Mississippi taking over the local legislature and taking and, and taking out, uh, getting rid of these uh, elected officials that black the 85% black community um, voted for and putting in their own officials there that they put in. You're seeing this all over the country with these Republicans, these fascists. And at this time, at a time like this, President Obama's tweeting out this mealy-mouthed garbage and BS. Shame on you, man. Shame on you. Thank you. We are voting on House Resolution 64. All those in favor, vote aye when the bell rings. Those opposed, vote no. Has every member voted? Does any member wish to change their vote? Has everybody voted? Does anybody wish to change their vote? Mr. Clark, take the vote. I 65, 30 nays. House Resolution 64 fails. So, dear listener, that was the moment that Gloria Johnson remained a member of the Tennessee House of Representatives. The vote failed. You needed a two-thirds vote for this to happen and it failed and the supermajority did not get what it wanted there and so that's really what you needed to have you needed to have i think it was two-thirds which is supermajority and it was 65 votes so she absolutely made it in by one vote had there been 66 votes voting yes she would have been expelled she would have been expelled 
Now, I don't know how many people didn't vote. I didn't take a note of that. But it was 65 yes votes to expel Gloria Johnson. There would have had to be 66 yes votes. So she scraped in by one vote. And you heard the cheers there. And I think there's a number of reasons why I think, by the way, dear listener, before I get to the speeches of Mr. Reverend, Reverend, they both basically were reverends, weren't they, today? Um, the speeches of Representative, now ex-Representative, Justin, um, excuse me, Justin uh, Jones and the other Justin, two Justins, the Justins, Justin Jones and Justin Pearson. Um, I do want to just say this. I think there's a number of reasons why Gloria Johnson managed to stay where she was. One, she's a white female. And the South, the Deep South particularly, but the South and America at large loves nothing more than to put white women on pedestals. I've talked about this many times. I've talked about it the last day or two on this podcast, yesterday's episode as well in particular. And the United States of America loves to put white women on pedestals, loves to, and especially weaponize them against black women and black men against black people at large and historically has done that against both black men and black women and particularly in the deep south against black men and we have seen the deadly consequences of that for black men when you've had white women in a number of instances many instances lying and saying that someone black a black man or a black young boy had sassed them whistled at them raped them and when in fact the evidence showed that that was a complete lie and it didn't happen. And for that, Emmett Till lost his life. For that, we've had million, countless hundreds of black men who have been killed. And especially if a black man may have rebuffed the advances of a white woman in the South and those white women say, okay, I'll show you. They won't tell that black man that, but then they will lie to their white husbands and say, that that was the case. In fact, that happened in Rosewood in 1923, Rosewood, Florida, old black town. You had this white woman who said the same thing, lied to her husband and said, yeah, this black man, he raped me, he did this, he did that. And it never happened, never happened. And hundreds of black people were killed in Rosewood because of a freaking lie told by a white woman. And so this has deep, deep roots in the United States. In the antebellum South, in the present South, in the country, all over the country, not just in the South, it's all everywhere. But one of the reasons Gloria Johnson remained in the position that she's in is due to white womanhood in the South and due to the racism and the anti-black racism across this country. That is definitely part of this. There's no, you cannot deny that. That is a central part of this. Another part of this is the fact that she had two attorneys, two white male attorneys who were veteran attorneys who argued on her behalf and in her defense. That struck me and that stood out to me very, very loudly today, very loudly. And I played you, Mr. Wendell, one of the two attorneys earlier, and you got to hear him in full talking about 
Gloria Johnson. He made a compelling case for her, by the way. And by the way, he's absolutely correct. Those were complete lies. She did not, and I saw the video, she did not say anything. She basically was very, very quiet. But this is not an issue of volume, dear listen. This is an issue of blackness. This is an issue of anti-black racism. Don't be seduced by, well, she was quiet and they weren't. That taps into the very same racist tropes and stereotypes that we see, right? This is not about someone being quiet or someone being loud. The Tennessee Constitution, by the way, for those of you uh, who need to be reminded or for those of you who just didn't realize this, dear listener, the Tennessee Constitution allows for protest. Uh, I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, people think that, that we're stupid out here. Tennessee Constitution, Article 2, Distribution of Powers, Section 27. This is Article 2, Section 27 of the Tennessee State Constitution. I'm reading right from the Constitution, dear listener. Any member of either house of the General Assembly shall have liberty to dissent from and protest against any act or resolve which he may think injurious to the public or to any individual and to have the reasons for his dissent entered on the journals. That is what these people were doing a week ago. That is what Justin Pearson, Justin Jones and Gloria Johnson were doing last Thursday. That's what they were doing. They were doing everything that the Tennessee Constitution, Article 2, Section 27, allowed them to do. And in fact, that language I just read out to you, dear listener, and I'm I'm an attorney, and one of the things you learn in law school is analyzing statutory language, analyzing legislative intent, analyzing what the language means and when the language was written. All those kinds of things. And if you look at the language and you just listen to what I just said, if you look at that language again and you hear what I said there, the word peaceful is not even included anywhere in there. The word quiet is not included anywhere in there. The word loud is not included anywhere in there, which is why this bullcrap about she's being quiet and they're being loud through a bullhorn is bullcrap. Oh my God, oh my God. Just look at the freaking constitution of Tennessee. And of course, those in power in Tennessee, these white male Republican freaks, these fascists, don't care about the Constitution. Just like a lot of the white people who wave a flag called Old Glory do not care about the Constitution. Particularly these fascists, specifically these fascists. They don't care about the Constitution of the United States. They'd just as soon rip it up if you showed it to them. They're concerned about power. That's all they care about, being in charge. And dominating. I don't remember hearing anyone, even the attorneys for Gloria Johnson, talk about Tennessee Constitution Article 2, Section 27. I believe Justin Jones may have raised it. I'm not 100% sure, but I'll play you the entirety of both 
these two speeches. I'm not going to play you anything from Gloria Johnson. Not because I don't want to. It's because it's the two people who got expelled who need to be heard from. Because lots of people did not get to hear this today. This happened around the time on the east coast of the United States. Where most people, if they were uh, out working and not working from home, would not have been able to hear this unless they were... Maybe they played it in their ears. You know, this was not shown widely. You had to go to maybe three places to get this in the entirety of the United States. Either on cspan.org. It wasn't even on the regular C-SPAN channels in real time on television, for God's sake. Shame on C-SPAN, but thanks C-SPAN for even linking this on cspan.org. And it was also, you had to go to the Tennessee website, the Tennessee House website, which I did. And you have to, or you have to go to either CNN or MSNBC, who briefly showed showed the proceeding, but they showed it with a split screen with some pundit talking. So you didn't really get to hear a lot of it in 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 on either of those stations. So the best bet would have either been cspan.org or the Tennessee House website. And I'm telling you, Article Two. Section 27 of the Tennessee Constitution, I think had that been brought up, I don't think they would have cared, these Republicans, these fascists. So, look, I want to make that clear. This is not about how loud someone was or how quiet someone was. And I hear this on social media, some fool, and I blocked his ass, some bot, some troll, some Republican troll. Oh, the reason why is a bullhorn. No, it's not. The bullhorn's got nothing to do with this. It's blackness. And the anti-blackness of these racist white male fascists. That's what it has to do with. Not volume. Give me a freaking break. Jeez, honestly. I mean, people, they just, you know, they play these stupid games. Just so stupid. I mean, that's the same argument that a racist like Michael Dunn, who shot and killed... Jordan Davis. Do you you do remember Jordan Davis in Florida, don't you? And you do remember Lucy McBath, who's now a congressperson, don't you? You do remember that. That, oh, loud music. That's the reason why I killed these people. That's the reason why I killed Jordan Davis. Because he was at a petrol station, a gas station, and he was playing, and it wasn't his music, by the way. He was sitting as a passenger in the vehicle. And, oh, and he had loud music, and so I shot them to death. So, like, loud music gives you the right to kill someone? Loud music or loud voices gives you a right to expel someone? When you've got pedophiles who didn't get expelled in the Tennessee state legislature? Oh, yeah. That happened. They didn't get expelled. Give me a break. Oh, it's a boom. Boom. Like I keep saying, you all will justify anything as long as someone white is doing it. That's the racism that people have in their hearts, right? That you will have some white people, a lot of white people, justifying anything as long as someone white is doing it. Oh, we got rid of him because of bullhorn. Oh, yeah, that sounds right. Bullhorn. Oh, that's it. Oh, yeah. I don't think about it. Oh, oh, because they're white. Oh, they're, oh. and they're always right. Oh, Bullhorn, yeah, oh, that's the reason they got expelled. When you just don't want to even look at the truth that's staring you in your face, you would crucify the truth. I mean, that's what these people would do. They would crucify the truth 
dear listener. So again, the reasons why Gloria Johnson is still where she is, A, she is a white woman in a white male racist legislature who value white womanhood and who valued the fact that two older white men argued on her behalf as attorneys. And again, that jumped out at me because again, both Justin Jones and Justin Pearson did not have legal counsel defending them. Now, I don't know, and you'll hear their speeches coming up. I don't know whether that's because they refused the counsel and they decided, heck, we're going to do this alone or whether they just were never given counsel. They've been in the halls of Tennessee state legislature for all of two and a half months, right? Three months almost. So this is this could be an issue of money. It, but here's my thing. Where were the Democrats helping them? They knew that this was going to happen. They had notice of their imminent expulsion. They were told last Thursday that they were going to be expelled. Maybe five days later on the Tuesday. Well, that didn't happen because you had, of course, the other thing that happened this week that got much more attention than this did. And MSNBC and CNN and all these places should have put this proceeding on in its entirety for hours. Instead of putting on that garbage of filler that they did for hours before we even got a glimpse of this piece of garbage who got indicted and arrested. You know, but again, typical corporate news media, this is what they do. Bankrupt. They're totally, they got no character. Here's what I'm saying to you, dear listener. Gloria Johnson is where she is because, again, this is about protecting white women, white womanhood in the South. You know, this is also about, again, these two attorneys who defended her and they did a good job. And these two brothers didn't get any legal counsel. And could these Democrats have freaking helped them? Where was the Democratic Party helping them? Where were the Tennessee legislators who were Democratic in that particular legislature? Where were they helping them? You just left these brothers to twist in the wind by themselves. I know that you stood behind them as they were about to be expelled. But that's too little too late, mate. And where the hell were you all last week when they were on that Senate floor, that Tennessee House floor, rather, protesting? Why didn't you join them? Why did you leave those young brothers in the wind there? Why didn't you join them? At least Gloria Johnson got on the stage and joined them. And what, where were the rest of you? Where were these black Democrats in the Tennessee House? Why didn't they do the Spartacus moment? Why didn't they have the I am Spartacus moment? Where's the I'm Spartacus moment from those black legislators? The older black men who were on that day and on that stage today speaking about how dare they try to expel these two brothers. Well, where the hell were you all last Thursday? Why didn't you jump on the stage with these brothers? If you did, we wouldn't have been talking about these two brothers being expelled. These two black legislators would still be there because there's no way, even as fascist as these racist white men are in that Tennessee legislature, that those Republicans, they wouldn't have got rid of all 23 of you or all 24 of you. They wouldn't have. 
Why didn't you stick together with these brothers there and then last Thursday? Because had you done that, none of this would have happened today. None of it. You wouldn't have had any expulsions whatsoever. I'm damn confident of that. They would not have thrown out all 23 or all 24 of you. They're not going to do that. They made an example of two people, the two youngest legislators in that house. And quite frankly, part of the blame has to go to the Democrats in that particular legislature, in that House of Representatives in Tennessee, who didn't join those two young black legislators on the floor last week. They, they're part of this too. If they had joined these two black men on the floor of the House in Tennessee last week, no one would have been expelled. Nobody would have. And that's what I'm saying. And you've got this older black generation now who cowardly stood there and didn't back these brothers. That's another story. And that story is not being told at all by anyone. I'm Spartacus! 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 It doesn't happen like we think it does. No one rolls the tanks. No armies meet in pitched battle. It happens quietly, little by little. And because so many think it can't happen, it does happen. Little by little, the rules change. It doesn't seem shocking or sudden. And that's the point. Fewer places to vote, longer lines. Don't worry, they say, we're just improving the system. They hope we won't notice the rules are changing because they lost the last election. They hope we just won't care enough to stop them. They believe they can take America away from us and we won't even notice. We know who they are. We know what they want. The question is, who are we? Do we let them get away with it or do we fight? Democracy is on the ballot. Vote while your vote still counts. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. Welcome back. And I am going to do something different here, actually. I'm going to play you, instead of playing you all of what Representative Justin Jones said, I'm going to play you the last five minutes that he did give on the floor of the Tennessee General Assembly, the Tennessee House. And what I am definitely going to do is play you the entirety of what Representative Justin Pearson had to say and the events following that, because I think that that really is um, important here. Well, all of it is. 
Um, and that's not in disrespect to Justin Jones at all. I, I really want to, um, because there was such an atmosphere after the expulsion of Justin Pearson that I, I think you really need to hear this. Again, a lot of you, I suspect, didn't get to hear this during the day today. And it's just important that I play you, especially Justin Pearson's speech, in full. I really think you need to hear that. Um, so what I'm about to do now is play you the last five minutes of Representative Justin Jones. And then I'm going to play you. I'll come back and then I'll play for you the speech by Representative Justin Pearson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. To my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, I want to say that um, you have the power, you, you have the votes to do what you're going to do today. But I want to let you know that uh, when I came to this well, I was fighting for your children and grandchildren too. But to those who here will cast a vote for expulsion, I was fighting for your children too. To live free from the terror of school shootings and mass shootings. When I walked up to this well on last Thursday, I was thinking about the thousands of students who are outside demanding that we do something. In fact, many of their signs said, do something, do something, do something. That was their only ask of us, is to respond to their grief, to respond to a traumatized community. But in response to that, the first action of this body is to expel members for calling for common sense gun legislation. We were calling for a ban of assault weapons and the response of this body is to assault democracy. This is a historic day for Tennessee, but it, is, it may mark a very dark day for Tennessee because it will signal to the nation there is no democracy in this state. It will signal to the nation that if it can happen here in Tennessee, it's coming to your state next. And that is why the nation is watching us, what we do here. My prayer to you is that even if you expel me, that you still act to address the crisis of mass shootings. Because if I'm expelled from here, I'll be back out there with the people every week demanding that you act. If you expel me, I'll continue to show up because this issue is too important. I talked to many, too, too many students and mothers in tears this week who said, thank you for doing something. And so if you expel me, I recognize that it's not just about expelling me, but it's about expelling the people. But your action will do the exact opposite. It will galvanize them to see what is happening in the state requires sustained action. And so I hope that my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, regardless of what you decide to do to me, because this is not about me, but this is about those young people who are asking us to use our position and to uphold our oath, to protest and dissent from any action or legislation that is injurious to the people. I pray that we uphold our oath on this floor because, colleagues, the world is watching.
So now, dear listener, after you've heard from Representative Justin Jones there at the closing of his speech, the last few minutes of his final five minutes he was given, now going to turn the floor over to Justin Pearson. This was uh, phenomenal. You're going to be hearing from him in a couple of segments, at least, and just solely from him. And then you're going to hear, I think, a very impassioned ending to his few minutes on his final few minutes in the last few minutes of a speech that he gives at the end. And you'll hear from another person. I don't remember who this person is. I don't really know who this other person is, who kind of really does um, sum things up as well very in a very compelling way. So sit back now and listen to Justin Pearson, who, again, for me, evokes H. Rap Brown. I can't think of anyone um, in 2023, at least, in the United States, uh, who's a young leader or a young politician who evokes the memory of someone like H. Rap Brown. If you do not know who H. Rap Brown was, H, and then the second name is Rap, and then that's R-A-P as in the music, and Brown as in the color, H is the first uh, initial, first letter, and then it's just Rap and Brown. Um, And he became a, a... a Muslim, I think, shortly, I think, I don't remember exactly when. But the bottom line is, is that H. Rap Brown is no longer with us. He was a freedom fighter. But you need to really study up on him and know who he was. Um, okay, so I, I think that that would be a really, really good um, thing for you to uh, do. H. Rap Brown. Um, but I tell you, Justin Pearson evokes him. I couldn't help but think about him when I saw him speaking earlier today. And here now is Representative Justin Pearson. Representative Pearson, you're recognizing the will. To God be the glory for the things that God has done and the things that God's still doing. It is indeed a sad day for us in the state of Tennessee with the loss of Justin, Representative Justin Jones from this body. It is a victory of this movement that still says it matters to end gun violence in the state of Tennessee. This movement that still says it is time for just action and just reforms in our state and to still have Representative Gloria Johnson serving in this house. That's the power of justice. There's been a refrain and a song going around in this movement. Power to the people, power to the people, power to the people. Power to the people, Hosanna. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, It's only that I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek God in God's temple. For in the day of trouble, God will keep me safe in God's dwelling. God will hide me in the shelter of God's sacred tent 
and set me high upon a rock, then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me at his sacred tent. I'll sacrifice with shouts of joy and thanksgiving. I'll sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek God's face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, God, my Savior. Though my father, mother, siblings, or colleagues might forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. I give thanksgivings to Dr. Kimberly, Kimberly Owens Pearson, Reverend Jason C. Pearson Sr., my fiance Oceanay, my brother Keyshawn, who stands in the gap for Jason the second temperance and Jalen and to everyone in District 86 in Memphis and Millington of the community who is here demanding justice. We are here because of a tragedy. Covenant School shooting victims Catherine Coons, Mike Hill, Cynthia Peak, Evelyn DeHouse, Haley Scruggs, and William Kinney. We're here because of a tragedy. Because we spoke up about the tragedy of gun violence that continues to perpetuate and persist in our state. We're here today witnessing injustice against the First Amendment. We spoke up for gun control and the end of gun violence. We're here today, we're being sought to be expelled from this, the people's house, for speaking up about the need, the need for gun control because we broke some house rules. We're here today because of House Resolution 63, 64, and 65 rules. I will tell you that uh, I was never told about. I learned about more rules in this house and our state constitution in the last five days than in my entire tenure. And as you have seen, and as we unfortunately have seen, the rules can be wielded to bend to the desires of a few. And it is not sacrosanct for the protection of everybody. I do, before I continue, have a few parliamentarian inquiries. If you will indulge me. Uh, one, uh, when... Uh, is it that evidence can be presented into the record? Evidence for our exposure. As a point of order, you can stop the time. I got, I got a few parliamentary inquiries before no, we this, keep going. This is part of your time because you're asking the clerk questions during your opening. Mr. Clerk. Okay. I'll re retract those questions and then we'll ask them okay. after. Thank you. Uh, it said that I broke the Constitution, Article 2, Section 12, saying that each house has its own proceedings and you can punish members and things like that. Again, never informed about even these proceedings, denied due process, didn't know anything about this. I was never given an overview of these rules or informed the speaker, the chief clerk. Nobody reached out saying, hey, this is what you can expect. I've been serving officially District 86 for 10 days since I swore again. I was sworn in the day of the Covenant shooting. And now being brought up against charges, if you will, that we broke 
the Constitution. Told in paragraph two that members of this assembly have permanent rules of order. Now, when did we sit down and we talk about these rules? I think they were voted on before I got here and was appointed by the Shelby County Election Commission. I was told that we were crowding around the clerk's desk, and I got to be honest with you, I, I just realized they're talking about this desk and not the one up there. It's a lot of things that are in these resolutions that seem to assume a lot of knowledge about what I am supposed to know or what we are supposed to know without real facts about what we have been provided information about. I'm told, I'm told that I, I did knowingly and intentionally bring disorder and dishonor knowingly and intentionally bring disorder and dishonor. When we went up between bills, we walked, I walked to this, uh, 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 this hallowed, in this hallowed house to the, near this well, went up between bills after not being called on during welcoming and honoring to say we've got to listen to the people. We've got to do something. We've got to take action on gun violence. We've got to elevate this issue in order that we can create the necessary change that we need because we're exercising, and I exercise our First Amendment right. We're being told that that deserves an expulsion from the House because it broke a permanent House rule. And still, when we learn that a member of this body broke a permanent House rule in order for a video to be shown, there was no discussion even about what potential retributions might exist. If rules will be sacrosanct, if rules will be the end-all and be-all of this house, then that needs to apply equitably to everyone. But there is something that tells me it is not uh, the rules being broken. It was what we were advocating for that folks have gotten very upset about, that we were advocating for people who have been murdered in our communities. We're advocating for people like my own classmate, Larry Thorne, who was slain by gun violence. We're advocating for people who are suffering in our communities. We're told, we're told uh, in this resolution that I proceeded to disrupt the proceedings of the House of Representatives from approximately 10.50 until approximately 11.42. And uh, uh, my fiance, she's a, a, a lawyer to be. And I have to tell you, if you go back, and this is one of the questions that I have, and we can start working on pulling up. If you look at the video at 10.50 a.m., this house is in recess. And the question that I'm pondering is, is it possible for House members to break permanent rules of order when the House is in recess? It's important that we unpack this. After SB 638 was passed at 1049 a.m., I walked to the well. I walked to the well, and Speaker Sexton immediately said, you're out of order. I call for a five-minute recess. Leadership, come up here. There was no disruption of any house proceedings or business. We were in a recess where members were relaxing, went for walks, left the chambers, ignoring the cries of people asking for gun reform, asking to end gun violence. I didn't disrupt proceedings between 10.50 to 11.42 because it wouldn't have been possible. We were in a recess but if you want to count the recess and say that our peaceful protest for red flag laws, our peaceful protest for gun control storage laws, our peaceful protest for the safety of kids like the ones at Covenant, our peaceful protest for the communities that we serve and the people that we represent deserve expulsion, then let's go through the timeline. There was a 10-minute peaceful protest on the House floor. 
And it was at exactly 11.04 where we walked back to that room with Leader Camper. Again, in the resolution, it says that we refuse to leave the well. In fact, all of the quote-unquote protest, uh, uh, except for maybe the first second or two, was called during a recess. And we still finished the business for the day. You keep going, and, and they say that we, we shouted and led chants with citizens. They, they, they said that we refused to leave the well. We had signs displaying political messages, and none of us believed that we were doing anything to deserve expulsion from this house. Speaking up on behalf of the last, the lost, the least, those who've been left out, those who've been ignored, those who've been silenced, but who refuse to be silent any longer, does not deserve expulsion from this house. The mic was cut off. We did use a mini bullhorn to listen and to project to the people in our community who were asking for change. The reality is we were told this happened in the open presence of witnesses, but the gallery was cleared. The video and audio during this time, and you can see this with the chief clerk and we can pull up that video. The video and audio during this peaceful exercise of our First Amendment was not even broadcast online. We're told that this was disorderly behavior and it justifies expulsion. Well, I've been looking, colleagues, at our permanent rules of order. And if you read rule 19 of the permanent house rules that this body has voted on and have been mentioned several times today, there is a blatant contradiction in these resolutions that are asking for our expulsion and the permanent house rules for the 113th General Assembly. If you go to section 19, transgression of rules by member, transgression of rules by member. And it reads this, and I'll read it into the record. Any member who, in speaking or otherwise, transgresses the rules of the house, the speaker shall, or any other member may, call such transgressing member to order, in which case the member so called to order shall immediately sit down, unless permitted to explain. And the house shall, if appealed to, decide the case without debate. If there be no appeal, the decision of the chair shall prevail. If the decision be in favor of the member called to order, such members shall be permitted to proceed without leave of the House. If otherwise, such members shall not be permitted to proceed. And here's the important thing, and which is really important for we who are being told we deserve to be expelled because of a breaking of these rules. In case any member objects and continues, stays at the well, you might say, for more than 30 seconds or something, without leave of the House. And if the case require it, such members shall be liable to the censure of the House, not expulsion. Those are the permanent House rules we voted on, or I've been told. It is not the fact that we walked up to the well. It was what we came up here talking about. That's what's at issue here. We're told that we have hurt the integrity and dignity of the house, the house that our people elected us into. We've received letters from Evan and Johanna and Evabel, Lucy, Heron, Nuseba, Lily, Makada, June, Jaina. We've had folks like the Robinson family the Fitzgeralds and others who come and reached out to us and said, thank you for standing up for right. Thank you for speaking up for such a time as this. 
And the reality is each of us have a responsibility to do so, to speak up for such a time as this. There is something I take issue with in paragraph nine of our resolution. It says that it's deemed in the best interest of the people of the state of Tennessee and the body for Representative Pearson to relinquish his seat as a member of the House of Representatives. I want to be clear. We are not relinquishing our seat. With this vote, you are taking it. You are disenfranchising the people of District 86. You are disenfranchising tens of thousands of people in our state. We are not giving anything away. A few of my colleagues have talked about the Tennessee State Constitution in Article 2. But I invite each of you to go to Article 1, Section 2 of the Tennessee State Constitution. And it reads this way, that government being instituted for the common benefit, the doctrine of non-resistance against arbitrary power and oppression is absurd, slavish, and destructive of the good and happiness of mankind. That's what the forebearers of the state of Tennessee wrote. That's the Constitution you're talking about. Where they said that to have non-resistance against arbitrary power, against house rules, not criminal acts, is oppression, is absurd, leads to the destruction of the good and happiness of mankind. We've heard from thousands of people asking that we do something about gun violence. We must answer them whether it be in Memphis or Millington, whether it's conversations with folks like Mama Easter Knox or Sarah Gladney or thousands of people in this chamber, outside this chamber, up top, who are saying, we've got to do something. We've got to do something. It is those who are demanding and should be telling us what's in the best interest of our people. And what is in the best interest of our people from what we have heard is the end of gun violence. What's in the best interest of our communities and of our people are folks who are willing to pass just legislation. It's folks like those grandmothers who couldn't make it today but are watching today, who want to be ensured that they will be safe and our communities will be safe. It's Jermaine, my intern who shadowed here at this Capitol, who said, I, I want to make sure that going to school isn't going to lead to my death. Our silence about gun violence is the antithesis of what is in the best interest of the people of the state of Tennessee. This week especially, Holy Week, we remember also Dr. King and the forebearers of the civil rights movement who taught us about civil disobedience as a way to get action. Dr. King taught us that sometimes there's a consciousness above rule, above what you might say is law. And that the true forms of protest is nonviolent disobedience. For less than a few minutes, we and you are seeking to expel District 86's representation from this house. In a country that was built on a protest. In a country that was built on a protest. You who celebrate July 4th, 1776, pop fireworks and eat hot dogs. You say to protest is wrong because you spoke out of turn, 
because you spoke up for people who are marginalized. You spoke up for children who won't ever be able to speak again. You spoke up for parents who don't want to live in fear. You spoke up for, for, for Larry Thorne who was murdered by gun violence. You spoke up for people that we don't want to care about in a country built on people who speak out of turn, who spoke out of turn, who fought out of turn to build a nation. I come from a long line of people who have resisted. I come from a long line of people who have fought injustice. I come from a long line of people who know what it means to face adversity in difficult days, who knows what it means to have words uh, that mean something that doesn't call peaceful protesters insurrectionists, doesn't call people who advocate for the end of gun violence, the folks who would uh, actually kill law enforcement officers, talking about children and teens who are being persecuted by the words that we speak. And I must say to you, as I wrap up this portion, that we all have a responsibility. We all have an obligation to do what is just, to do what is right, and to do what is fair. And what I can promise to those of you who have cried today, those of you who mourn the seeming end and assault on our democracy, what I can say to folks who are worried about whether or not, as one sign said, am I next? What I can say to you is that the movement for justice can never die because the heart for justice can never be killed because it lives and it beats in each and every one of us. It cannot die because we will not let it die. I'll tell you that folks have tried to kill it, uh, uh, they tried to put it on a tree called Calvary. They, they, they tried to kill hope and love, but resurrection is always guaranteed after persecution. Representative Pearson, you recognize. Representative Hawk represents something that we ought to talk about. And it's a, it's a common phrase. I'm not going to talk about white supremacy and things like that right now, because I think that's what you're referring to. That's not what I'm going to talk about. Uh, what I want to talk about is just a common phrase that all of you know. Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And there have been folks like, like this, and I didn't even realize Democrats have been in control of the House for 140 years or anything like that. That's a, that's a substantial amount of time. Um, uh, but in what the representative said was given reasoning or license for mistreatment of other members that are not currently in the majority. That is not how we sustain our democracy. Saying these things such as, uh, I didn't get recognized in committees. Saying things like, uh, uh, I, uh, had, I, I only certain people could pass bills. These are the exact same things that I hear as a member of the minority party. 
there's something wrong in the way that this house is operating. And when it got called into question in a peaceful protest to end gun violence, the response was not, what could we do to do something different? What could we do to do something better? How can we recognize that this change is something that the people in this state are demanding and ask for? It wasn't, how do we listen to the parents and the children who are protesting, not calling them insurrectionists? It wasn't, what can we do to make sure this body responds to the needs of our communities, not with just spending hundreds of millions of dollars on more war or weapons of war, or doing things like lowering the age requirement for people to get guns. The idea was to now arm teachers. It was not what do we get from the people who came to listen and to show up and be a part of the process, as you call it. That wasn't it. Your hurt continues to cause you to hurt people. And this body is hurting people. You just expelled a member for exercising their First Amendment rights. For a house decorum rule when the last two people committed actual crimes. 22 counts of sexual assault, bribery. Is that you're having to see, address ideas and people different than you're used to. You're having to answer questions that you're not used to having to answer. You're having to see people in positions just like you that you aren't used to seeing. That's, now I understand, Representative Hawk, what Representative Farmer was getting to about why I'm really here. Doesn't have to do with not following decorum about fighting for the end of gun violence. It has to do with an idea and an ideology that says there's only one way that we're gonna allow thinking up in here if you're gonna be here. It's only one way that you're gonna be if you're gonna be in this house. But the news for you and for every member in this legislative body is that this country is changing in magnificent ways. That the diversity of the state of Tennessee is changing in magnificent ways. That the voices and the people who are protesting aren't just black folk and ain't just white folk, ain't just rich folk or poor folk. It is a multiracial coalition built on a solidarity dividend can, that can break any institution that refuses to change. And so, because we need not cling to hurt, I suggest that this institution choose to change. Change the way that it is operating in order for justice to be possible here. For everybody's voice to be treated equitably here. I will say this. Lois DeBerry, Speaker Pro Tem. Why was she never the speaker of this house? She deserved to be speaker of this house. And the reality is, the reason that she was saying things about decorum and things like that was because she understood that the institution that she was a part of, the institution as the second black woman, I believe, to ever be elected in the Tennessee state legislature, the way she had to present herself, the things she had to do and say, and the way she had to look was so important because black folk wouldn't be respected otherwise, because white folks wouldn't respect them. They'd call them boy, they'd call them girl, instead of chairperson or speaker pro tem. All right. Represent Towns. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. 
Mr. Speaker, here again, and members, I'm going to say that this House right now should be in mourning. We really should be in mourning after the incident at Covenant with the six beautiful souls that untimely transitioned. That's what we still should be doing, watching the flags fly at half-mast. Because I know that particular day, everybody was hurting. And a lot of us are still hurting. Hearts broken. A heartache is a hell of a thing. Our hearts were cracked and broken. And you can't put it back together again. We're supposed to be in mourning. This house ought to be in mourning. It has not healed. Hadn't had time to heal. It takes time to heal a broken heart. But we've been deflected on trumped up charges for one of our members, two of our members, three of our members, which is subconsciously denying us the ability to heal and plan and progress a way through this melee of madness of death and destruction in our communities. We should be in mourning. And in our anger, we're lashing out at our members, at the brothering, if you will, on this house floor. We're lashing out. That is not Christian. That is not kindness. That is not brotherly. And that's not something that we should act that way towards our colleagues. As I've shared with you, none of our members should be expelled because there were other measures if there need to be anything done in terms of discipline. We had other measures. I ask that you allow our member to stay and allow us to get back to mourning and to figure out how we can address this plague that's harming our nation and harming our people and harming our state and harming our citizens. The people are calling for something to be done. Many of us don't know exactly what needs to be done. But we know we have to do something. Any of us would run into a burning building to try to save some children. All of us. As I shared about the anger, when we get angry, we may be like a dysfunctional F troop and all the children die because we're mad. Madness, temporarily insanity. It's insaneness when you go mad. Can't rule and judge over people with madness. Sober minds and hearts of flesh. Compassion. When you're trying to legislate and have sway over human beings' lives, my grandmother told me something a long time ago. So she said, baby, you never spank your children when you're angry at them. I said, why, my dear? She said, you may hurt them. We're hurting our members because we're mad. 
the body has gone mad. It's like an autoimmune disease. The body turns against itself. We're mad because of something that transpired on this floor. We need to figure out how to save our member. And I'm encouraging that we don't expel our member. I really appreciate your consideration and hope that we act accordingly, come out of the stupor of madness and do what's going to be just, justice for Justin. Thank you, members. Representative Pearson. Thank you, Representative Towns. And I just want to reiterate why uh, uh, we should be in mourning and why we are here. I, I don't want to forget Representative Freeman's district, a catalyst for this conversation. And unfortunately, instead of it being a catalyst today for the passing of those laws, it's about expelling, expelling myself and two other members of the House. We have in this state a proliferation of guns, and we have significant incidences of gun violence. That is the reality of what's happening in the state of Tennessee. That is a real issue that needs to be addressed. And this expulsion and other conversations that take away from the real calls for change that are coming out of the halls and coming out of the homes of people in all of our communities is detracting away from the calls and cries for justice that each of us need to be answering, that each of you need to be answering. And if your mind has not changed about how we get there since last Thursday, if your mind hasn't changed about how we make Tennessee a better, more safe place, if you are offering the same solutions or resolutions or ideas, then you are not listening to the people. You are not listening to the communities like Memphis and Shelby County that are suffering. You're not listening to the folks who are dealing with gun violence on every single day, every news cycle. <clears throat> All of us should be being uh, transformed in the ways that we're thinking about solving this problem. But instead of being transformed to do something to solve it, we're silencing folks who said, we've got to say something. The resolution isn't expulsion. The resolution is doing something to pass meaningful gun violence prevention. That's what we should be doing. That's what you should be doing. Saying, how do we prevent incidences like what's happening to folks like Larry, all the way to folks like at Covenant? How do we actually prevent this from happening by ensuring that this proliferation of gun violence ceases on our watch? That's what folks are calling for, asking for, and demanding. And that's what I will continue to call for and ask for and demand because we can do it. It is possible for this legislative body to pass more just laws. Now, whether the will is there is up to each and every one of you. It's up to you to decide whether or not we need red flag laws. It's up to you to decide whether or not we're going to pass gun lock storage laws. 
It's up to you to decide whether or not we're going to stop folks who shouldn't have guns from having AR-15s that can send hundreds of rounds through people's schools and homes and bodies. This, these are decisions that can be made by we who have been elected, by you who have been elected. You know, I always got pretty frustrated when I saw the whole thoughts and prayers thing, you know. It always bothered me because I always said the people in power must do something. The people in power will do something. I thought I believed naively. And then I had the opportunity because some folks at age 93 and 88 and 81 and 70 went to the polls to cast a ballot, not just for Justin, but for justice. I had the opportunity to come to that place to see the faces of the people who I would always say they have the power to do something. These folks, they're the ones who folks are always mad that they send thoughts and prayers at because they've got power that they will to actually be able to change the situation. But instead of looking into these faces and seeing a dogged determination to change what is going on, I'm seeing a dogged determination to expel me and expel the voice of District 86 in this state house because we know we need to have an end to gun violence. Because we're tired of having kids and adults and loved ones being killed by guns. So it's disappointing. But that dogged determination does live in certain people. And that gives me hope. Yes, it is. <coughs> Representative Warner. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'll call for the question. Question's been called. There's objection. We're voting on previous question. All those in favor of previous question, vote aye when the bell rings. All those opposed, vote no. Has every member voted? Does any member wish to change their vote? <clears throat> Mr. Clerk, take the vote. Aye, uh, 73, 23 nays. Previous question prevails. Let the journal reflect. Representative Terry is excused. Representative Pearson, you have five minutes to close. Okay, give me one second. Speaker, uh, I just want to ask a point of privilege. Speaker, point of personal privilege, is it possible that Senator Ackberry could join uh, us up here? Former uh, State House Representative? Yeah, she can come. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, she's going to stand next to me. Leader Camper. Come on, Senator. All glory and honor to God who makes all things possible, who takes the son of teenage parents, Kimberly Owens Pearson and Jason C. Pearson, and brings them to an institution built by enslaved people's hand. All glory and honor to God who brings those who've been marginalized and excluded into this place and tells them that you still have a voice. 
that you still are somebody and that the movement for love and justice cannot be stopped because we've still got a heartbeat, because we've still got a movement for love that needs us. We've still got people who are calling on us to act and to do something to all you who still believe that the best days for democracy are ahead. For all of you who still believe that our better days in Tennessee are ahead, I want to tell you that I still believe with you. And how, how is it that even now amidst persecution, on this holy week, after my own brother Justin Jones, Representative Jones, gets expelled from the House, is it that we still have hope and faith and belief in the democracy of Tennessee, faith and hope and the belief in the democracy of the United States of America? How is it that you still have hope, you descendant of enslaved people? How is it that you still have hope? Well, it's because even from the bottom of slave ships, my people didn't quit. Even in cotton fields and rice fields, my people didn't quit. Even when they were whipped and chained and told they had no name, my people didn't quit. Even when they incarcerated us, locked us up for a crack cocaine epidemic created by President Ronald Reagan to fund a war in South America, my people didn't quit. Even when they defunded our schools, separated us and called us colored and white, even when they put us on lynching trees in the state of Tennessee, specifically in Shelby County. My people didn't quit. Even now, as our own brothers and sisters lay to rest because of the failure of people in positions of power to do something. Because people are refusing to pass just laws to end the epidemic of gun violence in the state of Tennessee my people have yet to quit. And so even now, amidst this vote, amidst this persecution, I remember the good news. Hallelujah, Jesus. I remember that on Friday, the government decided that my Savior Jesus, a man that was innocent of all crimes except fighting for the poor, fighting for the marginalized, fighting for the LGBTQ community, fighting for those who are single mothers, fighting for those who are ostracized, fighting for those pushed to the periphery. My, my savior, my black Jesus, he was lynched by the government on Friday. And they thought that all hope had been lost. All the, 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 the outside, it rained and it thundered and, and everybody said everything was over and it was some black women who stood at the cross. It was some black women who watched what the government did to that boy named Jesus. They were witnesses as you have been witnesses to what is happening in the anti-democratic state of Tennessee. They were witnesses to what was going on and I got to tell you, it got quiet on Saturday. Yes, I tell you, it was a sad day on Saturday. All hope seemed to be lost. Representatives were thrown out of the state house. Democracy seemed to be at its end. Seemed like the NRA and gun lobbyists might win. But oh, that was good news for us. I don't know how long this Saturday in the state of Tennessee might last. But oh, we have good news, folks. We've got good news that Sunday always comes. Resurrection is a promise. 
And it is a prophecy. It's a prophecy that came out of the cotton fields. It's a prophecy that came out of the lynching tree. It's a prophecy that still lives in each and every one of us in order to make the state of Tennessee the place that it ought to be. And so I've still got hope because I know we are still here and we will never quit. <laughs> Please share this podcast, especially this episode. Share it, download it, subscribe. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It doesn't happen like we think it does. No one rolls the tanks. No armies meet in pitched battle. It happens quietly, little by little. And because so many think it can't happen, it does happen. Little by little, the rules change. It doesn't seem shocking or sudden. And that's the point. Fewer places to vote, longer lines. Don't worry, they say. We're just improving the system. They hope we won't notice the rules are changing because they lost the last election. They hope we just won't care enough to stop them. They believe they can take America away from us and we won't even notice. We know who they are. We know what they want. The question is, who are we? Do we let them get away with it or do we fight? Democracy is on the ballot. Vote while your vote still counts. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising.